Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Moto Adventure Unscripted. I'm Drew Faulkner, your host. Uh, sorry, it's been uh, been a while since I've recorded some stuff. So I've had a lot of life stuff going on. Um, my wife has had a myriad of health complications that have made life a little bit difficult. Uh, we've actually moved. All that stuff has been going on. So I've kind of been a little derelict in getting recording done because I've been trying to manage the website, manage the bikes, manage content for racing, and a lot of life complications have come in through there. Um, since I've moved, I want to change the format, not necessarily the show overall, but I'm, I want to put out some content. Um, my commute's like 30 minutes long now, so it's the opportunity for me to sit down and talk about uh, some issues and ideally get some back and forth content with the, uh, the listeners. And I still want to continue to do interviews because I think that's really where the value is. I want to continue to do long format interviews so we can get to know people and have, you know, really in-depth discussions, you know, talk and shop and just motorcycle industry on the whole. Um, but I still want to show in some of the, the short stuff here and there. So today's going to be the first episode like that. So hopefully we'll see what you folks think about it. As always, if you have a comment that you want to throw out there, send me an email, motoadvr at gmail.com. Give me some feedback on what you think about the episode, uh, different content ideas that you might have uh, any comments about motorcycles motorcycle industry and that way we can uh, start a little more engagement here with the audience um, and then hopefully get more guests on the show as soon as i get time to cut more episodes and sit down with some people because i got a few people on tap i want to talk to so uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about my opinion about harley davidson and uh, hopefully enjoy the show see if the uh, third time is a charm. I've been trying to record this podcast for like a week or so and had some technical issues, so we'll get back on board here. Uh, I mean, more or less, I've been listening to this news lately that uh, Harley's starting to put out all this information about the the new hardwire plan, um, which basically sounds like they're going to start cutting the number of units that they make and they're cutting expenses and cutting out uh, low profit bikes and whatnot. And honestly, I just think, I think the plan is wrong. I think Harley Davidson is, is doing it wrong. Um, and I don't think it has to be this way. You know, what, why is all this happening? I think that right now that the news is that the shareholders basically aren't happy with the way that the company's been performing. Uh, I don't know what the numbers are now, but you know, Harley has had down stock reports for over a year now that I can remember. And in the end, it's just, you know, shareholders aren't getting the profits they want. Um, and in the end, that meant that Matt Levitich had to go find a new job. Uh, and it's just, to me, it's disappointing. Um, and I think it's, a, we live in this world now where, you know, people that are involved in the stock market and get to make decisions are really short-sighted. Uh, they want a company to make profit now, and they don't care if the road they're on runs the company out of business later. And that's what I'm saying. Harley-Davidson is doing it wrong, and I think that's simply it, that they've put somebody at the head of the ship that is going to make the shareholders happy, even if that means that the company shrinks down into being irrelevant. And I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I really, I honestly think that I'm sitting back here as a Monday morning quarterback. I, I hope that, you know, this, this business plan plays out to the point where they do turn the company around and they work, um, and they branch out and start building bikes that everybody wants. Um, but I just find that hard to believe. Um, so, so what's happening? They basically have started to cut production, uh, at some of the plants so that they're making fewer models. Um, and if I read between the lines and what this, you know, hardwire plan is that they're, they, they're looking at what models they think are most profitable. 
um, which is obviously the bigger touring bikes that have the more gadgets and more displacement and basically bring larger margins to the company. Uh, so they're going to focus on those. And I mean, there's, there's no doubt that they're going to look at, you know, low margin bikes that are on showroom floors that don't sell as much or they have a hard time moving or aren't worth anything. And they're probably going to cut those out. That's speculation on my part. Um, and what scares me the most about this is I think that by cutting out units available and focusing on what I fear will be more expensive motorcycles is that they're going to hurt dealerships. Um, and while they may successfully create a business model that is more profitable, which makes the shareholders happy, they're not going to be able to dodge headlines that say that local Harley dealerships are closing. Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe the local news stations don't care, um, but people are going to get laid off because their you know, dealerships are closing. Uh, and I just, I just see it that way. How, how could there be so many dealerships, you know, one on every corner, and then you're going to literally build fewer units to meet a less demand and still maintain the same number of dealerships? That, that, that math just doesn't make sense to me. Again, I, I work at a business. That doesn't make me a businessman, so maybe I'm wrong. But I just I don't, I don't see it that way. Um, so... <sighs> To some degree, you have to look at, you know, why is this happening? Um, and I've wrote it before, you know, if you're remotely interested in Harley-Davidson, you, you know, you've probably read various articles elsewhere where people are like, why is Harley losing money? Um, and there's, <laughs> there's a whole demographic of writers out there that are like, yeah, screw them. I never wanted a Harley. I don't care anyway. And I'm like, that's fine. Uh, I get it. You know, similar to, like I said, I, I like Harleys, but, you know, it's not necessarily in my bag right this minute, but it may be someday. Um, and actually, I think that's the that's a news for a lot of people that it's like, wow, well, I don't want a cruiser. And I, I really think that uh, folks should get out there and ride all bikes and, and think about, you know, what what works. But anyway, I I think that the business plan that they're on is part of the reason why it's not working in the first place. Uh, Harley sells cruisers. That's basically all they sell. Um, you know, the, the Roadster, I don't think, was particularly popular in the Sportster era, and that's the one, like, standard that they really had. To some degree, a Sportster is a standard, but, you know, when you've got an inch and a half of rear suspension travel, uh, I find a hard time calling that a standard, but whatever. Um, but, you know, it's to some degree, it's an image issue. Uh, you know, they, they want to sell, you know, what they consider premium products and leather and chrome and it's an experience and we can go on about, you know, do rags and t-shirts and ripped jeans and all the other wild stuff that, that Harley Davidson, you know, puts in their showrooms. Um, but I think that, you know, people would call it a lifestyle brand. Uh, to some degree, it was like the symbol of the midlife crisis. And I actually, to some degree, I actually think that's how Harley got to the success point that they're at now is that in the nineties when, you know, the economy was booming and, you know, folks, started to get their kids out of the nest and whatnot that folks ran out and bought a Harley on credit. And people used to talk about there was a time where you bought a Harley and it didn't show up for weeks. Um, but that's not been the case for a really long time. So I think to some degree, it's the image issue. Um, we could debate whether or not millennials have an issue or, you know, the country as a whole that wages haven't kept up with inflation. You know, people have said that I'm not an economist, but uh, I do think that post 2008, you know, in a different world, a lot of people are spending a lot more time looking at, you know, what is something really worth? Um, maybe I'm projecting because that's the way that I look at it. Um, but, 
you know, is, is, is a thousand dollars worth spending on a new exhaust or do I save $2,000 and buy a second bike? That's, you know, that's how I look at it. Um, and that's the issue is, you know, a, a Sportster is probably 12 grand, um, depending on which one you're looking at. And, uh, that'll buy me almost three KLRs, uh, used on Facebook marketplace. So it, it to me that that's part of it. And obviously you can't compare new and used. Um, but still, I, I think that when you look at what the market claims the price is or the value is of a Harley Davidson and you are in the market for anything other than a premium cruiser or an American V-twin or anything like that, suddenly you realize that, you know, you can buy a 250L for three grand and ride absolutely anywhere. Just, it, 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 it gets wider. Um, and we live in a world where, love it or hate it, motorcycles are sold on sex appeal for as much as I preach about, you know, what's the value added that the, the reality is, is that, you know, it's a bike people fall in love with. Um, and they successfully sold an image that people wanted, uh, to some degree, I think that it's, you know, the boat or, you know, the sports car that is the, you know, the status symbol. And I, I just, I think that if we want to blame it on millennials, a, a big piece of this is, is that, Harley Davidsons are not the status symbol of choice anymore for millennials. Maybe it's, you know, <laughs> the, the Apple TV or, you know, I, among my friends, honestly, I think it's really that, you know, they want a house or they want a paid off house after the housing crisis and things like that. And Harley isn't that, that thing anymore. I would be remiss to say or to not say that, um, like I said, I, I like Harley Davidson, um, my, I'm the son uh, of a baby boomer. My dad has a Harley Davidson. Uh, I've ridden a lot of Harley Davidsons. Um, my first actual motorcycle was actually a cruiser. I spent several years in a motorcycle club, um, and I, I get the culture. Uh, and I think that's, and obviously th- this podcast, people that keep up with me on Instagram, people that watch the website, I mean, adventure lifestyle and now even off-road racing is kind of my, my gig. But cruisers and, you know, just hanging out with friends or whatnot, it's kind of where I came from. It's not really my jam anymore, but I, I get the culture. And, and like I said, that's a piece that a lot of people need to think about is that people motorcycle in very different ways. Um, and, and while this is a message, you know, me sitting back, talking about what I think Harley Davidson is doing wrong and what they need to do. To some degree, we as a culture have, have shifted and Harley hasn't caught up, but as a culture as a whole, you know, motorcycles are toys, but what we enjoy about them is very different. And there's a different motorcycle for every personality easily. So there's a lot more to riding than that. And like, like I said, right, riding a cruiser is absolutely not my jam. You know, I, I sold my old bike that I actually bought new. Um, to some degree, I miss that bike, but I know full well that with, with three that I have already, it wouldn't get ridden a whole lot. But I think that there'll be a time in life where I'm just going to be happy that I'm riding. And just being on the bike is going to be a lot more important than, you know, how strenuous the activity is. Um, and, and cruisers tend to be good for that. And I've told a million people, and you're shopping for your first motorcycle, you really can't go wrong because you have no idea what you actually like. And frankly, a cruiser in America can do anything, but it's not necessarily good at what you ultimately find out you're good at. All the stuff that Harley Davidson is doing, like I said, I, I really feel like they're they're in this like managed decline mode so that they can look profitable. And I think that they want to look profitable because they want to see if one, keep the shareholders happy, and two, is it possible that they could start courting a larger corporation that would actually buy them out? 
you know, would, would, would Ford or Chrysler be interested in buying Harley Davidson? The way that, you know, Polaris owns Indian, but Polaris owns a lot of other, you know, outdoorsy off-road type companies and whatnot. So that, you know, they don't put all their eggs in one basket. And that's the issue is Harley Davidson not only only makes motorcycles, but only makes one kind of motorcycles and is only a big fish in the American market, not everywhere else. Um, so that's the issue. And this isn't a bad plan. I just... My concern is that they this can't this can't go on forever, um, and if they screw around too long, I'm a, I'm a little concerned that it's going to be too late. The other piece of this is like when I say too late, I, I just fear that they're going to shrink the brand down to the point that they remind me of what I remember Indian being before it got bought by Polaris. You know, those were like I think they were like S and S engines put in some chassis. And don't quote me on that; I don't know that very well. I just remember it was you know 2012 ish, um, and I was like, man, I really want a motorcycle, and but I didn't want anything that you know everybody else had. So I started googling, and I'm like, oh, Indian, oh, those are American, and we used to make those a long time ago, blah blah blah. Um, but they were expensive, uh, you know, and there wasn't a dealership anywhere. And it's just my fear is that you know while Indian has successfully had this you know this renaissance or this you know, evolution because of a larger parent company buy them out that, you know, invested the capital and moved them around. Um, they're not out of the woods yet either. You know, they're, they're selling competing models to, to, to fight Harley Davidson and, and have beat them on the flat track and are, are taking part of their market share, but they're selling mostly the same bike. And I think that they're going to be looking at the same problem soon enough. So it's an interesting coincidence that, you know, it's, it's definitely worked out for Indian, at least for right now. I hope the FTR 1200 continues to catch on and they branch out from that quick. And I'm hoping they've got new chassis or new engines in the hopper right now so that, you know, a couple years from now they can turn around. I just, you know, Harley's on the back foot at this point as far as I'm concerned. So where did Harley-Davidson go wrong with all this? Um, I'm really afraid, and I commented on it earlier, that I think that in kowtowing to the shareholders you know, somebody in some accounting office somewhere pulled out a spreadsheet and they probably had some pie chart on the wall and said, well, you know, we make this bike and we know that these customers are this age. And well, millennials, as soon as they get their kids out of the house, will have, you know, a whole bunch of dispensable income and they'll be at the right age group where we can start picking them up again. And, and uh, to their credit, maybe that's the case. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at my 38th birthday, uh, you know, dead in the crosshairs right now. And I'm like, well, if I had kids, then yeah, any minute now, I would be pushing the kids out of the nest, and maybe that's the thing I'm into. And, I, and I've met guys, you know, they got rid of their bikes for a while, and they're going to get them back again and whatnot. I just, I have a hard time thinking that that's going to play out. But but that's it. They've 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 come around and they said, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna focus on the you know the value products, and so they've you know slashed stuff. And what really disturbs me is you know they've got a brand new engine platform that I've seen. I mean, I went to. IMS Cleveland, and I saw what I assume was going to be the new Bronx or the new Street Fighter or whatever it was. I saw it in the flesh. Now, whether or not it ran and wasn't made out of clay, I don't know. But, you know, they, they have this stuff all worked out. And we know the Pan America is going to be here, and it has that power plant in it. But they're all tight-lipped all of a sudden about, you know, what bikes are going to come out. And to me, that seems like they're rolling it back. Like, they spent the R&D on that, and it's too late to not release the Pan America. Um, but they're, they're not talking about making these other bikes, and it just... Something about that really just doesn't look right. Like I said, it just it causes me pause. That's, that much is for sure. So a big piece of this that I think they're missing, um, and to some degree, American culture as a whole, 
Harley Davidson, for all of its faults, for all of the image issues that they have, for you know, if you've had negative experiences in dealerships because you were dressed differently or whatever else it is, or you know, you wanted to buy a quote-unquote girl's bike or whatever it happens to be, they, they all, despite all that stuff, they have some really key strengths that I think that they're not either using completely. Uh, or they don't even realize they have. And I think that's part of it is, you know, someone in there is, is working in an accounting department and they're focusing on numbers, but I think they don't realize the intangible stuff. And to some degree, I, I, I found this out later and I don't know why Harley isn't using it, but you know, so the marketing department is the first thing off the top of my head. And I do think they're using this some, and I think anyone who's ever thought about Harley Davidson realizes how big this is, you know, Harley Davidson is so synonymous with motorcycles, has such control over the American motorcycle market. People literally tattoo Harley Davidson logos on their skin. Like, maybe people wear Honda tattoos, maybe, well, not even maybe, like, I just, maybe Ohio State Buckeyes. I just, just can't think about that. How many brands do you know out there that people love so much that they get tattoos for? Like, it's a big deal. And I've said that before, like Harley Davidson is like Kleenex, um, you know, Velcro. Like I've literally met people that I, they're like, hey, man, that's a nice Harley. I'm like, well, it's actually a Triumph. Yeah, that's what I said. It's a nice Harley because they literally use Harley Davidson and motorcycle interchangeably. Like th- this is a company and I know people that they own Harley Davidson stuff. Like they have hats and T-shirts and stuff like that. They don't own a motorcycle, let alone a Harley Davidson. Like, it's, it's just a brand that just is so representative of America, you know, and that you could talk about, you know, people would buy, you know, do-rags and t-shirts and whatnot just because it says that on there. You can make jokes about people that drive from one Harley dealership to another on Saturday and just pick up the t-shirts and whatnot. Lots of people will talk about they walk into a, a dealership and it's just all of this Harley-Davidson merchandise before you've even got to the motorcycles and whatnot. Like I said, they, they're a marketing machine like no one can imagine. Uh, Jensen Beeler over at Asphalt and Rubber, uh, I heard him on a Brap Talk podcast episode talking about it. Like, like Harley Owners Group is taught in business school because it's been so successful in bringing like brand loyalty. People buy a Harley, they meet the Harley Owners Group out of that dealership, and then they become Harley customers for life. You know, that, that's so powerful that, it, like I said, it's taught in business school, or what Jensen said. Um, and it, I, they have the tool to turn the message around if they know what the message needs to be. Um, and, and I touched on it a minute ago. A dealer network is a huge strength of Harley-Davidson that I think that it, it can't go unnoticed. I don't think that the way that they run their dealerships is necessarily um, sustainable, uh, this is the backside in a whole podcast in itself. I mean, I, Shaheen and I talked about it when we talked weeks and weeks ago. Um, but you know, a lot of bikes are brought in on, uh, they pay not rent. I can't think of the name of it, but they basically, you know, pay interest on what's on the floor and things like that. And that, that's a mess, but there's a dealership everywhere. I mean, I looked up an article and there's like 700 dealerships in the United States, uh, like divided that up. And that's like two dealerships for every major metropolitan area in the country. I know three dealerships here in Dayton, you know, Cincinnati to me at max is like 45 minutes away. And there's like four more dealerships down there. Like there's, there's a Harley dealership everywhere. Like I said, you can ride in Dayton and just go to dealerships every Sunday if you wanted to and get across the city, whatever. But the thing about it is that there are so many of them. Uh, and the other piece of that, that 
people love if they don't know much about any other type of motorcycles is the fact that they walk in there and there's like one of every bike and they could see it and they can touch it and they can sit on it and there are helmets and there are jackets and there's all this stuff. That stuff's expensive. And like I said, it's a whole other podcast about what it takes to sustain the business model that that is. There are no other brands that are in there. All the buildings are right off the highway. There's a million requirements that Harley Davidson has, but up until this point, that's been a huge selling point. Uh, And the piece that goes with that, that I don't necessarily find an issue, but there's been a lot of times where I've talked to people and they're like, well, I'm looking for a bike and I'd like to buy this. What do you think about this bike or whatever? And I'm like, well, have you looked at this or have you looked at, you know, Beta, KTM, Husqvarna, like there's all these other brands. Um, And a lot of people are like, well, I'd own a Triumph or I'd own a Beta, but there's no dealership for three hours or whatever it is. And they're freaked out about can they get parts? Can they get service if something happens? Uh, I make the joke, do you really think that your bike's that likely to break down um, and whatnot? But that's a serious thing. Like people are honestly worried about that. Like they want to make sure dealer's close. Um, I found that out personally. I bought the Husky and I have a KTM dealer that's close and that's awesome, but somebody customized it with a bunch of aftermarket parts and that's a nightmare for me because I can't buy those at the dealer. So, you know, again, that's a separate podcast, but that's the kind of thing is that if you need a part, there's something to be said for being able to drive down the street and pick it up today, then wait on Amazon or whatever. But that that's a hangout for people. But the fact that there are so many dealerships is a huge selling point that I think is a strength that Harley Davidson has the ability to leverage. Um, and I'm about to get into like what I consider the meat and potatoes of this as you've sitting here listening to me blab on for this far. But I think what Harley Davidson represents that people don't talk about is simplicity and ease of ownership. Anytime that there's a new Harley release and I'm read about whatever new model it's coming out, I go to the comment section and there's somebody in there like, <laughs> 1930s technology, you wonder how much oil it leaks before it leaves the factory and blah, 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 blah. Um, and, Harley-Davidson does have a reputation problem. I mean, Ducati has one and KTM has one and, you know, lots of brands have reputations. Hondas have a reputation problem for being boring. Um, And that's something in particular that I I find aggravating. I mean, that's a history, like I said, history reputation thing that they need to address. And to some degree, it's just the tribalism of the motorcycle experience on a whole. Uh, But I don't understand, one, why people seem to think that pushrod engines are this, you know, 1930s technology we shouldn't use anymore. Uh, More importantly, I think that really just comes down to, to some degree, the ignorance. Uh, And I'm not calling anyone stupid. I'm just saying seriously, like the the ignorance of, you know, what's what and why on a motorcycle. Obviously, Lemmy got into the the weeds with this in Revzilla, and I loved it. Um, But I don't think there's anything wrong. With a Harley Davidson V twin, you know, and as I, you know, people know that I've helped my buddy Jeff scramble our eyes a Sportster, and and frankly, I love the Evolution engine that's in the Sportster. It's old, you know, it's been around since 1985 for the most part, and it's going to have to be updated because Euro five, it just it's not going to survive Euro five, or highly unlikely to do that. But to me, the premise is that you have a V twin that makes gobs of torque because it has a longer stroke and it has a bore. So it, the long stroke engine has lots of torque. Push rods mean that the valve train is like sloppy and you can get valve float. So it doesn't spin very fast. You know, Harley's only spin up to 5,000, 6,000 RPMs, maybe seven. I'm, I don't know off the top of my head, but not a lot. They make a ton of torque, but you know, they, they kind of suck on the top end. You know, they're not winning a lot of races. Now the Evo engine, you can, you can tinker with, but I'm just saying in stock form, so people are going to complain that they make more noise than they make horsepower and all this other stuff. And you can say that that's true, uh, but that's a taste thing. 
people are going to be like, oh, I like this, that, and the other has no power. I'm like, well, we can sit here and argue about, you know, straight fours and, and triples and what it takes to get to that. And again, that's, that's, you know, over square where there's more bore in the short stroke. And that's why it makes a lot of power, but you have to get it way up on the boil. You know, you got to spin it up real high to get the actual power. And if you want to scream down the highway, that's your gig. I get it. That's a Harley is not your thing. I mean, a Harley will do hundred miles an hour and that's plenty to get your license taken away here in Dayton, Ohio. Um, it's, if it's your thing, I get it, but just sitting here lamenting that, you know, we should never, sorry, that's not the right word. Anyway, just complaining that we shouldn't be making V twins or push rod engines anymore. It's just nonsense to me. And, it, and the reason being, you know, I, I rode the scrambler every day for 365 days. I, it's one of the reasons why I bought it was because I knew that checking the valves on that would be a lot easier than checking the valves on a tiger. But in the end, for the same amount of money, I probably could have bought a used sportster, and done less work to it. You know, today a Sportster is a, a belt drive, you know, pushrod V-twin, where for the most part you change the oil in it and you don't do anything else. That's something I can't say for the vast majority of Japanese bikes. Now, they're super reliable, and that's great, but, you know, the Triumph architecture is awesome. I can actually check the valves in an afternoon, assuming I don't need to go get a shim and adjust it and whatnot, and it's not that big a deal and ride the same day. Um, but to me, riding it would be a hell of a lot more fun than working on it. And I get a lot of Americans don't ride enough that they need to work on it in general. But it doesn't change the fact that, you know, it's it's the simplicity that is it's, you know, it's the selling point. If you know someone that wants to buy a bike and never work on it, then buying the traditional Harley-Davidson push-run engine is a huge selling point. And if that's not your gig, you don't ever plan on working on bikes and you don't put a lot of miles on it, that's fine. I understand that. But there's a customer base that is going to appreciate that. And I don't think that people come out and tell you that. They're busy selling you the experience, which not it's true. The, the experience is what sells bikes. It is the sex appeal that sells bikes for as much as we, I want to talk about the technical stuff. How it looks and how it makes your heart feel has a huge piece of it. But letting people stand around and talk about how their tractors and old ag agricultural equipment is not something that's really helping the brand and they're missing out on that strength. Uh, with that... Um, I mean, Harley-Davidson has had over half of the motorcycle market in the country for a long time. Anything that you want to do to a Harley, somebody has probably already done. Somebody is probably standing by right now to sell you parts to do anything that you want to do to it. I've said that before. You know, if you want a scrambler or a sportster, you want to slam a bag or whatever it happens to be, somebody has almost undoubtedly done it. You know, the flat tracker thing has been in. Harley did flat track and things like that. Like all this stuff is out there. So as of right now, it's a highly customizable bike. The chassis is the limiting factor. That's something that I want to get into in a minute. Uh, but the fact that there are so many parts and so many things available is a huge selling point that I think gets lost on a lot of other stuff. As a guy who's owned two niche Triumph bikes, the Scrambler a little less, but still, they're nowhere near the parts available for these European bikes as there are for Harley-Davidson's. It's just kind of the way that it is. So where, where do I feel like, you know, Harley is falling short. Like I said, I expect, you know, that the dealer situation, you know, to be an issue. I, I expect the, the news of dealerships closing is going to be an issue. Um, like I said, I think they're, they're missing the, the, the statement that, you know, most people who own Harleys who put any amount of miles on them at all. And there's quite a bit that, you know, there's a lot of certified iron butt riders out there that are riding Harley Davidson's. These guys know, or these girls know that, Owning this bike means that the ease of ownership is, 
the folks that own these bikes know that, you know, the hallmark is simplicity and ease of ownership. They know that stuff already. Um, what I'm worried about is, like I said, they're, they're backing out of the, the Bronx and the other, you know, custom type bikes and whatnot, um, that they don't tend to dip their toe, uh, you know, in, in different waters very often. And it, it, to me, them backing up from, the Bronx type bikes and whatnot with that new Sportster engine really feels kind of like the V rod to me. Like they, they're going to put this great engine, but they're going to put it in a chassis and then go, Oh, well, they don't really sell, you know? And obviously the V rod was a lot longer lived than a lot of others, but I mean, the Roadster is a good example and so many others. And in both cases, I feel like they had so many things right, but they didn't have other stuff wrong. And rather than try to change it, they just stopped making it. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, and to me, one of my biggest complaints is I feel like, like when Matt Levitich was laying out the more roads to Harley Davidson that I feel like he got it, that he was like, okay, we are way past due. Like we have got to change. We have to evolve to a new customer base and a new world where, you know, Amazon can deliver everything to your door. So we're going to continue to make the bikes people love. And we're also going to try all kinds of stuff. I mean, behind closed doors, I imagine it was something like, we're going to try whatever it takes. We're going to throw all the spaghetti at the wall and whatever sticks sweet. We're going to do that too. Um, whereas right now I feel like, you know, this new Joker in charge is kind of like up, oh, batting down the hatches. We're going to we're going to slash everything to be profitable and, and see if we can just weather the storm as is. And I again, I hope I'm wrong, but I just feel like rather than evolve, you know, the choice is just going to be now nah, we're just we're just going to weather the storm. This will work out later. I just don't think that's the case. So uh, I guess I should summarize if, you know, if if I'm in charge of the ship, what do I do? Um, and, and I think that they have to use the marketing machine to promote the simplicity and reliability of the brand. Uh, I think that if you want to say that millennials are not interested in buying boats and expensive, you know, bikes and whatnot, but they're out there, you know, looking for a quote unquote experience, I think that an affordable motorcycle or a motorcycle that stirs your soul is the vehicle to an experience. I think I've, I've done that, you know, two, two bikes that I bought used for nothing, essentially compared to a Harley that, just take me out to the middle of the woods. You know, I think, I think adventure camping is the thing to do. I think the marketing department has the ability to put knobbies on a Harley Davidson with a pushrod engine and show a bunch of millennial kids around the fire having beers and burning down dirt roads and, and all that other stuff. I think they've got the pavement experience down. I looked at some videos recently and I'm like, you've got the imagery. The message seems a little goofy, but I think you've got the imagery figured out. Uh, I think that they can do that. Uh, I think... With that, um, I think they've missed the mark where they were selling the soft tail with, you know, handing it off to a bunch of like rappers and pop stars and whatnot. And I think the the biggest thing is, is they've they've got to get these bikes into the hands of, you know, jokers like Steve Comrade and whatnot, who it it's the average Joe taking this bike out to do the thing that nobody has thought you could actually do with it before. Everybody's going to talk about, oh, it's so heavy and this, that and the other and whatnot. I'm like... I don't think it's that much effort to change something like a Sportster into something that's slightly more capable and build it into what is, we'll say, Triumph's Bonneville. You know, I don't know all the stats off the top of my head, but Triumph was making triples for many years, turned around and started making the Bonneville in addition to that, and all of a sudden Triumph has had this renaissance. Triumph has pulled pages out of Harley-Davidson's book in the past four or five years and has really started working on becoming the premium brand uh, here in America, but selling, you know, a multitude of bikes. And 
the Bonneville can do anything. The Bonneville has turned into a scrambler and it's a heavy, fat off-road bike. I get it. But it's just one of those bikes that, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't do anything great, but it can do just about anything you want to do on it. And I think Harley has the ability to do that. Uh, I mean, as far as the Pan America is concerned, I, they have to get behind this bike. I'm, I'm really worried that they're going to drop this $20,000 adventure bike on the market. And then if it doesn't do well, they're just going to abandon it. I think that the idea is similar to, you know, Matt Levitich's more roads to Harley Davidson, that it, that it has to be, we're going to sell this premium Pan America knowing that the number of people who are ready to spend the money are small, but those profits have to get folded back into creating, you know, an 800cc bike. We have to get a new generation of riders on Harley Davidson's. So that way, when they're done with that bike, they can move on to another one. I don't think the world of, well, they're going to start on a Honda Rebel and eventually they'll come and buy a Harley. I, I, I don't think that that's going to work out the same way that it has before because of the way the market has shifted so much. You know, when, it, when a KTM 390 Adventure could be your first bike and there's this beautiful 790 and this beautiful 1290, uh, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, by the way, uh, when those bikes are available to step up, why would you step over to Harley Davidson? I, it just it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and and like I said, as far as technology is concerned, I, I get that they're into this like dual overhead cam thing that they're they're working on, and they have to do that. You have to create a new engine, but at the same time, you can't completely change who you've been before. I, if they want to get away from push rods, I suppose, but if they're going to do that, then I think they should put hydraulically adjusted valves in this dual overhead cam engine. You know, right now you can buy a Honda Goldwing, and that's the only bike that I know of that has hydraulically adjusted valves except for Harley-Davidson. This is a major strength for them that I don't think they should just abandon because they've listened to too many people complain about how old the technology is. I get it. Euro 5 is going to push a lot of this, but I think Royal Enfield's combating that pretty well right now with some relatively, we'll say, old technology. Uh, and there are other brands that are doing the same. You know, less displacement might be a way to solve that issue. Now we can talk about premium status and margins some other time, but the premise is the same. Uh, kind of touching on the Pan America thing, um, and, and to some degree the touring bikes as a whole. Uh, I think that there's a market out there for the touring stuff. I think there's a market out there for, you know, infotainment um, and TFT dash stuff and all that other stuff. Um, and again, maybe I'm projecting, but I feel like um, people in my circle or at least people from my perspective are looking for the value point. You might be able to say that, you know, TFT dash and Apple CarPlay and things like that are something that millennials want. Um, but when I see things like GoPro integration and just all the whiz bangery and whatnot, I think that brands as a whole, and especially Harley-Davidson, can't rest their hat on all of these premium creature comforts because the reality is, is the $1,000 smartphone that's in my pocket is better than any dash you're going to put on a, on, a, on a motorcycle. It just is. Uh, so I get really worried about not only the premium touring bikes, but also like you can't, like I said, you can't hang your hat on this Pan America and assume that that's the step in the right direction. To some degree, you're chasing the same demographic that's going to come out and purchase a new touring bike because the Pan America is an adventure touring bike. It may be a great dirt bike, but I have a strange feeling that it's going to be north of 18 grand. And if that's the case, most people aren't willing to spend that amount of money for a bike they're just going to trash off-road. Uh, I guess to, to sum it up, uh, it really just comes down to I don't think that they should get hung up 
on, you know, absolutely everything has to be the new technology. Again, we have to comply with emission standards, and I get that. But my biggest concern is is that they're either going to stick with who the rank-and-file customer has been, continue to make bikes for those people, and potentially shrink and move towards what I think will be irrelevance, uh, or worse, they're going to hang their hat on this completely new engine platform. Um, and to some degree, they're going to evolve into something completely different and do it overnight. I, th- I think that incremental change is the most important thing. I think that the rank-and-file Harley-Davidson people are going to meet new customers working through the dealership with open arms when the bikes themselves are not all that different. Uh, someone in business can can talk about how rebranding really works and whatnot. That's fine. I'll I'll be prepared to have you know listen to that argument or have that discussion. Um, but I think that as a, as a sportster starts evolving into an adventure touring machine, is a better business plan than just dropping bombs like um, <laughs> the live wire and talking about this is our future. Uh, and for all I know, maybe that is their strategy. Everything's going to be electric. I don't know, but. You know, when you when you make a thirty thousand dollar electric bike and talk about how it's to appeal to the next generation, I'm scratching my head because there's no way in your there's just no way I'm going out and borrowing thirty grand for an electric motorcycle. That's just absolutely insane. Uh, if that motorcycle, like I said, like the Pan America, funds the research and development to drop, you know, an eight fifty or something like that on the market, then I think that's great. But in a world where adventure touring machines are literally shrinking, it, I just I have a real tough time with that. So I just, I think that they need to get involved in an in incremental change. Uh, they have to be supporting the dealerships big time on being open to a whole new culture of rider that's going to come in their dealerships that they need to go get. And they have got to use the marketing machine to be selling a different experience than brotherhood, chrome and leather. There's nothing wrong with those things. But I think they're really missing the mark that the whole concept of why adventure riding is so huge is that you get a chance to go out in the woods and camp with your friends and you're not worried about racing or impressing anybody. It's that this motorcycle took me to this obscure place that I feel like I never would have seen otherwise. And I'm doing it with a bunch of my friends. I think that's really the message that they need to focus on and they have to be making bikes that people can reach. So... Uh, like I said before, if you got comments on the show, uh, hit me up, motoadvr at gmail.com. Um, if you got beef about Harley, you know, hit me with an email and uh, any new topics that you guys want to hear, let me know. We'll catch you guys down the road.